We spend so much time on the hunt, but nothing ever quite does it for us. And we get so wrapped up in the hunt that it kind of makes us miserable. Black Friday shopping mania is still playing out tonight at malls across America. With high hopes of saving some big bucks on those holiday gifts. In some cases, it did turn violent. We've, as a culture, have lost our minds. There's no question that what it means to have achieved the American dream has increased tremendously in material terms. This is not something that just happened yesterday. This is something that has been sold to us over the past hundred years by those that want to make a whole lot of money. Now that's what I call a good-looking car. You have this thing that you were obsessed about, but then the new version comes out, and now you no longer care about the one you have. In fact, the one you have is a source of dissatisfaction. People are beginning to recognize that they've maybe been tricked. There is no out until you become aware. You're not going to get happier by consuming more. Ready? I was born ready. There's nothing wrong with consumption. The problem is compulsory consumption. We're tired of it. We're tired of acquiring things because that's what we're supposed to do. When I heard about minimalism, it wasn't about just getting rid of my stuff. It was about taking control of my life and stop being told what to do and actually deciding what I wanted to do. When I first started reducing the number of things in my life, I found out that I had 51 things in the entire world. We've probably sold or donated at least 90% of our stuff. As I started to move that stuff out, I was able to finally realize what I had sacrificed. I don't know what the most common three words are in American home. I don't know if it's, I love you, or if it's, I want that. This same thing that's not making us happy is also causing the degradation of our habitat. We're going to have to give up a lot. The secret is that a lot of that we're not actually going to miss. What I found with minimalism is it's a way of saying, let's stop the madness. When you recognize that this life is yours, and that it is your one and only, and when that seeps directly in your bones, and you recognize that this is it, everything changes. Good morning. Good morning, come on. Yeah, all right. All right, so we, uh, it's good to be back. I missed you guys last week. Um, I don't know, I didn't really feel the love there. All right, we'll talk about that later. So uh, we like to uh, dive into uh, the scripture passage. We are following the lectionary, so we did uh, Good Samaritan, if you were here for that. Mary and Martha, and now we have a new story. And each time we approach the scripture, we do it a little bit differently. So sometimes we have someone act it out, sometimes uh, I read it, sometimes we have someone else read it. And this morning, uh, you guys are going to read it in small groups. So I want you guys to take uh, a Bible, there's some in the seat back, so take out your phone, pull up your Bible on your phone, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 through 21, so really short passage today. And I want you to break off in groups of uh, two or three, whoever's sitting around you, uh, and read that story, Luke 12, 13 through 21. And then just take a couple of minutes and talk. What did you notice? 
Uh, how did you feel toward the characters? Uh, can you relate to any of the characters? So take a couple of minutes, uh, talk to someone next to you, and read that passage, Luke 12, 13 through 21. All right, so what, what did you guys notice from this story in first read? Yeah. Okay, so the priorities seem to be out of whack. Anything else? There's no guarantee of the future? Yeah. Yeah. Did you relate to any of the characters? Rose, yeah. What did you notice? Right, right, okay. You didn't hear her. She said, eat for a sober alcoholic, eat, eat, drink, and be merry was the, the former credo. So. Right. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting story, an interesting parable. Um, and always, I, the word that stuck out to me when I first read it this week was uh, the word barns, and this idea of storing up in barns. Uh, and it immediately made me think of uh, my, my dad worked for a moving and storage company. He has worked for moving and storage uh, since I was born. So uh, I have worked uh, since I was 15 through college in warehouses, storage warehouses, loading up trucks. So I am way too familiar with storage. So warehouses are barns. And so I have a few storage statistics, all right? Nearly 10% of Americans own a storage unit, all right? The United States now has 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space. That is enough storage space for every person in our country to have their own storage space. Uh, in 2007, this is funny, 15% of storage unit owners said the things that they were storing they didn't need or want. So there you go. So. I think it's safe to say that our country uh, has a lot of stuff. We just do. We own a lot of things. Uh, and I think whenever we read through this parable, um, it's really easy to read. Uh, a lot of our Bibles title this the parable of the rich fool. And so it's easy for us to look at that title and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm not rich. Uh, but I think if we take that approach, we really miss out on all the different layers of this story. And so this morning, I want to look at uh, this story and the parable within this story from a, a personal level, what, what this has to do with us individually and our finances, uh, from a communal level, a Mission Hill Christian Church, and then how this uh, really relates to the society and culture that we live in. So uh, if you still have your Bibles, let's look back uh, to the beginning of this story in uh, verse 13. So we open up this story with someone in the crowd. And this is continuing. Jesus has been teaching uh, this crowd of people as he normally does. And this guy, this brother, approaches Jesus and he says, teacher. So th this marker, teacher, would have been a very common one in the uh, first century uh, Roman world. Uh, Greek philosophers would often, you know, preach in squares. And it'd be very common for someone to come up and want the advice of whoever was teaching. And so this interaction is very normal for this guy to come up and say, teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. 
Uh, this is most likely from the context a Jewish uh, man, and what we can probably gather is that this is the younger brother, and in Jewish law, the older brother would be, uh, uh, he, would, he would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and the uh, younger sibling would get a third. But it seems like the older brother probably in this scenario is taking it all. So this brother approaches Jesus, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? So Jesus, as he normally does, what? He doesn't take the bait, right? Jesus, like, he always gets asked these questions where he's kind of baited into some answer, and he never, he never takes it. So he, uh, you know, responds, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not your judge. But then he gives them a, a little moral here. He says, uh, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So some people say that um, Luke writing this, it would have been some form of Kriya. So um, you would have uh, a setup, a question, and then the teacher would give a moral and then follow that moral uh, with a story and then follow that story with a uh, figure from history and then follow that figure from history with another moral. The lectionary text doesn't go all the way through that, but it gives us a little context for what Luke is doing here and what Jesus is doing here. So he, he approaches this man and says, you know, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Let's go on. Uh, then he tells him a parable and said, uh, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said to himself, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods and laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry, which, as Rose says, is a very, is a very common expression. You know, we hear that's the sort of phrase in Ecclesiastes, the sort of eat, drink, and be merry. And what I think is important here for us personally is uh, that this guy has a particular mindset that is keeping him, that essentially forms his actions, right? What does he say? says, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. He's not, he's not recognizing himself is a part of a larger community outside. So uh, we presume that this man in the parable is also a Jewish male. He would, have been, he would have known that as a influencer in the community, someone that already had land, he already had a barn, it would have been his job in many ways to grow crops that would then provide for the larger community. But he doesn't see himself like that. Even uh, extra-biblical Jewish writings would have told that this man was to be a blessing into the community, that he was in many ways uh, obligated through the law, through the Jewish law, to give to his community, that he wasn't to just store and store for himself, but that he was to go out and take his crops and uh, to bless the community. But what does he say? He says, I will pull down my barns. I will just build larger ones. There I will store my grain and my goods. And essentially, uh, his retirement is set, right? His, I mean, he's got a great thing going. Um, but yet, God says, you kind of missed miss the point. God calls him, you fool. This is actually interesting because it's the only time in the Gospel of Luke that 
God actually is a character in a parable. Usually when you, we read parables, God isn't a character. But God comes in and says, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and things that you have prepared, who will they be? And so he essentially says what we've been talking about, that you were meant to be a blessing. You've given a blessing to be a blessing, and you have, you have squandered it. You've kept it all to yourself. I think this has a, a little bit of a bite to it as uh, we think about this in regards to our church community here. Uh, this place, Mission Hill Christian Church, was built in the 1950s. And uh, we're actually sitting in what was originally built as the fellowship hall. The sanct- you might, I don't know if it, you know this, but the sanctuary of the church was never actually built. So this was the fellowship hall, and the sanctuary was supposed to be out in this parking lot. And in many ways, we are the inheritors of this place, right? We have been given the opportunity to inherit this church, not so that we can store, use this as our barn in some ways and to store up for ourselves here, but so that we as inheritors of Mission Hills Christian Church can use our crops, our gifts, our talents and abilities and find ways to be a blessing outside of these walls. And I think it's hard. Um, I think it's hard to think of that in twenty um, first of twenty sixteen in Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, this is a city that people love to live in. It's Hollywood. It's in many ways uh, very wealthy and really epitomizes in many ways American culture. Uh, Los Angeles has defined through uh, movies and music what it is to be an American consumer. And to be a church planted in that uh, context can be really tricky, because I think we can, like the uh, man in the parable, lose sight of what is important. Like we said, our, our culture is one that loves to consume. We saw, uh, has anyone ever gone to Black Friday? This is a safe place. You can, this is a safe place. Only two people? Wow. You guys are really good. I've gone to Black Friday. I've witnessed the madness. It is crazy. I mean, there, it really is. I mean, I've never seen anything like the video where people are really fighting. But uh, it's crazy. I mean, people are pushing and shoving once you get in the store. And uh, it, can be, it can be a form of madness. Um, so being a church uh, in the richest nation in the world definitely has challenges. challenges. Uh, you know, we live in an incessant uh, consumer culture uh, that demands so much from us that I think we are kind of numb to it. We're used to it by now, right? Our lives move at such a fast pace. Uh, we all have, or most of us probably have, uh, the Amazon app on our phone. I love ordering things off Amazon Prime. Uh, Prime Now, gosh, you get there like two hours. Have you ever done that? It's amazing. So, uh, you know, I'm not speaking from a high horse here at all. I mean, I am very much embedded in the consumer culture, uh, but it is something that we, we must be aware of as people of God. Um, when this parable concludes, uh, God says, you know, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus caps it off in verse 21. So it is those with, with whose store up treasure, treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. And so I think this morning we have to ask, 
all right, well, what does it mean to be rich toward God? It's almost as if the story in the parable is uh, just a way to get us to the real question at the end. What does it mean to be rich toward God? We know from a few weeks ago when we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, this answer, this link between what does it mean to be uh, a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to uh, love the neighbor? And if you were here and you're, or just remember the story, uh, we're pitted with this question of who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't respond by uh, answering who is my neighbor, but rather tells him that you are to be the neighbor. You are to be the one that goes. So a neighbor is, is not a person out there, is not an other, uh, but you are to be the neighbor. That everyone is an equal, that our health as a community and our health personally is inextricably linked with the health of the person that you see on the side of the road. Um, we're not healthy until all of us are healthy. Uh, and so, so in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we're linked with the idea that um, in order to love God, in order to be rich toward God, which is essentially the analogy that he's using here, you have to love others. You have to see others as yourself. And that takes a bit of a sacrifice. To pass by, to keep for ourselves, to remain focused, to look out for number one. When our society has normalized uh, massive houses, which are actually, on average now, two times the size that they were 50 years ago, uh, and then plus the storage unit on top of that, uh, we have to realize that uh, the accumulation of money, things, stuff, filling up our barns, uh, it's driven by our anxiety and our fears and the need to store up for security for ourselves. And the... Uh, the man, the Samaritan, that doesn't pass by. Uh, we know from that story that uh, he was he was the neighbor. But the if you remember the Levite and the priest that came along before, they were doing the right thing by law. They were required to uh, make sure that uh, okay he's he's on a busy road and I can legally I'm obligated to to pass by. Someone else will come, and so. You know, like I said that week, sometimes what is right or culturally acceptable uh, is actually the opposite of what the gospel is calling us to be in our community. And that's why uh, this is very tricky and dangerous when we talk about living in a uh, consumer culture and living in such a wealthy culture. Even if we don't see ourselves as rich, um, we are still obligated to to start somewhere, to live open-handedly, uh, to be the neighbor, to not pass by, uh, because it's not a matter of seeing our socioeconomic uh, status. That's not the point of this parable. The point is at the end where he says, are you rich toward God? Are you loving God by loving your neighbor? Are you seeing your neighbor's health, uh, the vulnerable's health, your enemy's health, as inextricably linked to your own? That I'm not fully healthy if my brother or sister is not fully healthy. So we must be embedded in the lives and the well-being of others, to be a neighbor to all, to realize that we are ultimately not healthy at this point. And I think there are many ways that we can start shifting our mind to this uh, rather than sort of doing uh, what I tend to do a lot of times, which is sort of the comparison game. Well, 
uh, I hang out with this person and they have this much money or they have this type of house or, you know, we've all, we've all been there where we compare our lives up against the lives of the people that we see around us or that work with us or whatever. Um, and there's this guy that I really, I started following about a year ago named Rob Greenfield. Has anybody ever seen him? Um, Rob Greenfield does a lot of interesting things. The guy it lives extremely simply, uh, lived in San Diego for a while, uh, and then lived in one of those tiny houses. Have you ever seen that on HGTV? They're like these little, small trailers almost. And he kind of got some notoriety for uh, this trip he did across the state, and then for living in this tiny house that he ended up turning into a bunch of tiny houses for the homeless in San Diego. And so um, it's just a good example to, in an extreme way, start to uh, get us imagining and thinking, well, even if I'm not, you know, X amount of wealthy, because honestly, uh, we'll never reach that magic mark, right, of, of stuff we have or uh, retirement security, because we always kind of think, oh, well, once I'm at this level, then I can be really generous, right? Or once I have a house, then I can be really hospitable and I can fit people into my house. I can, you know, open up uh, my spare bedroom and invite people in. And we never really reach that magic marker. The bar just always kind of continues to rise. And so I want us to watch this video uh, of Rob Greenfield because uh, he's such a simple guy that finds really interesting and creative ways to give back. I'm in Holdridge, Nebraska, outside of the local grocery store, and all this food around me came from the trash. One dumpster outside of here had enough food to feed me for the next three months. And I would say this right here, what you see, is probably about maybe a 50th or a hundredth of the total food in there. Literally, we, they could have fed yeah, at least 50 families this weekend with the food that was all in there. Still good, and obviously a lot of it's good healthy food too. Even these bananas are even organic. Um, so one thing I'm learning on this trip is that we do not have a shortage of food in the United States. The only thing we have is a distribution problem. The food is here, we're just not giving it to people in the right way. So I just pulled into Mount Vernon, Iowa after a pretty long day of biking and, and we're 25 miles from Lincoln, Nebraska. Early morning in Jackson, California. We're about 1,500 feet up into the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. So we're at a little grocery store here in, in Iowa. 
I'm just outside of Michigan City, Indiana, and uh, and boy is this dumpster a treasure chest. We've got some yogurt and all sorts of bread. Melons, this milk expired yesterday. Bottled water, straight out of the trash too. Corn, watermelon, naked juices. And these eggs expired yesterday. Some potatoes and some oranges down there that are good. A couple of sandwiches and whole bunch of salad. Creamy Harvati cheese, still cold. Still cold. It's a mandarin spinach salad. This is a spinach salad. Some chocolate milk. Got a whole bunch of cheese imported from Ireland, just expired a few days ago. Spain, shipped all the way from Spain, ended up in a dumpster. This is some other stuff I probably won't eat, like red hot red thing. Uh, and I found this delicious trash bag. Awesome, awesome trash bag. So it's gonna be a great night. Definitely gonna bite into this ice cream. <laughs> America throws out 100, 165 billion dollars worth of food per year. Basically 30% of food purchased in the United States is thrown out. Now, that is just an absolutely absurd amount. I don't know the exact answer to the problem, but I know there's solutions, and if we work on it, this is America, the greatest country in the world after all, if we work on it, we can figure something out. All right, so go dumpster diving, no, I'm just kidding. I always talk, we have Bible study on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and one of the interesting themes that we've seen in Mark is this idea of God's economy being one of abundance. So you have two stories of uh, feeding uh, the 3,000 and the 5,000 in the Gospel of Mark, which are pictures in many ways of an ancient way of, of sort of saying this same message, that God's world, God's economy is one of abundance and not scarcity. And I think so many messages in our culture today say, well, Larry and I are pitted against each other because if Larry succeeds, then I don't succeed. Or if Larry has a lot, then I'm, he's taking a piece of my pie. And one of the things that we have to shift as a church is this idea that we live in a world of scarcity because we know that we live in a world of abundance. We just have to be creative as a community and as people in order to find ways to shift our communities. And you know, one way that we do that here is through the giving bag. Uh, Laura started a ministry where uh, we put to, together bags uh, every week or every two weeks to uh, go and give to the homeless. And we are just in the process of starting more of those ideas and ways for us to uh, use not just our money, but our time and our resources and our talents uh, to give back. Because we live in, a, in an economy, in a kingdom of abundance. And... Uh, yeah, and we're also, uh, in late September, when it gets a little bit cooler, a lot cooler, hopefully, uh, we're actually going to build a, uh, we're going to plant a, a garden out here or somewhere, and then we're going to uh, plant 12 fruit trees out there. And we want this space to be a space that gives back to the people that live in and around here. And so we're just in the beginning stages of a process where we want this lot, this church, this space, and every one of you to get involved in little ways um, so that we can just benefit the people around us a little bit more. Um, and that's 
hopefully how we can you know transition to, to being people that are rich toward God by being rich in love toward our neighbors. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for uh, this morning that uh, you give us another week and another opportunity to worship together, to have conversation, to dig into uh, your word um, that, as ancient as it is, just seems more relevant maybe than ever for our lives. Uh, and we're incredibly grateful um, that you still uh, teach us through it, that it is alive and pulsing through our veins, through each person here, uh, that it just doesn't stay here, that um, we absorb it and take it out into our uh, places of work and into our communities uh, to be better image bearers and uh, lovers of the people around us. Uh, I just thank you for everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.